0: For listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10:30 a.m either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City Georgia or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at gardencityumc.com. So y'all seen a Rube Goldberg machine, right? You know what I'm talking about when I say a Rube Goldberg machine? If you don't, uh, look it up online. They're really cool. Rube Goldberg. Um, If you've ever seen Ernest Goes to Jail, it's what Ernest's house is filled with. But a Rube Goldberg machine is this really elaborate machine designed to to do something really simple. And it's just like over-the-top complicated. There's this one I saw on YouTube this week that was awesome. If we had a projector, I would have shown it to you, but it's like two minutes long. It would have been a total waste of time. But it's this guy who uh, built this Rube Goldberg machine to turn his newspaper page. So he, he picked up his coffee, and there was a string attached to his coffee. The string knocked something off the table, which knocked another thing off the table, which knocked something else off the table. The table, the, then that triggered a marble to roll down a track. The marble that rolled down the track knocked a coffee mug over. The coffee mug had some kind of chemical solution in it that started a fire. The fire lit a fuse, and the fuse burned. And as the fuse burned, the fuse was holding up these pool balls. The pool balls fell onto a track and knocked something else over. And it went on and on and on like that all over his house. For two minutes, these these cause and effect chain reaction was taking place all over his house. And then finally, something fell onto the table again rolled this piece of tape, this roll of tape across. The tape stuck to the page of the newspaper, and as it fell off the table, it turned the page of his newspaper. And so this whole two minute long, cause and effect, Rube Goldberg machine was designed to turn the page of his newspaper when he picked up his coffee. And of course, these are not practical machines at all. They're just things that people make um, because they got too much time on their hands, I suppose. But, um, but they're really cool. I, you know, look them up online. They're, they're really neat. But I think some people present the gospel as if it's a Rube Goldberg machine. Here's what I mean by that. They, they have this cause and effect relationship with the way they present the gospel designed to get a person to respond positively and respond to become a Christian. Um, it's it's almost a way to like manipulate someone into becoming a Christian. So they say, You think of yourself as a good person, right? And they say, Oh yeah, I'm a good person. And then they go, and then that man, that triggers the ball dropping. And it rolls around the track. And then they say, Well, you know, you might be a good think you're a good person, but you've broken God's law, right? And so they go through the Ten Commandments and they say, well, you know, they say if you've ever lied, that makes you a liar. Have you ever told a lie before? And they say, well, yeah, I have told a lie before. And and so they go through like that. And, and, And by the end of that process, then the next thing has fallen over. The next domino has fallen over. And they say, well, you know, the Bible says that if you're a sinner, the wages of sin is death, and that, and that you, and so, and so you get that person to believe that they're gonna go to hell, um, which I mean that's not inaccurate, I guess, but. Um, and then, they, and then they present the gospel say, but, but Jesus took the punishment for your sin on the cross. And then if you become a Christian, you'll alleviate your sin problem. And more and more of these cause and effect relationships come. You get this person low by believing them that they're going to die and go to hell if they were dying right now. And then you come in and you, you present the, the answer to this. And if you just say this prayer right now, if you just say the sinner's prayer, then you will move from category A to, a sinner into category B, a saved Christian who's going to go to heaven. And by the end of our Rube Goldberg gospel presentation, that person has been turned from a person going to hell to a person going to heaven, and we have won. And so often we see evangelism as an exercise in moving people from column A to column B. We're snatching their souls out of the fire by setting up this this presentation of this Rube Goldberg gospel and then running them through the simulation. And if they're receptive, then by the end of this conversation, they've prayed the sinner's prayer and now they're a Christian and now they're going to heaven. And a lot of times when we talk about the gospel or about presenting the gospel, that is what we're talking about. The problem with the Rube Goldberg gospel is I don't find it anywhere in Scripture. I'm not saying that people that present that gospel that way are bad people. I'm not saying that that, that is um, you know, wrong, that no, none of those specific steps are wrong or inaccurate. But what I am saying is that Scripture does not view the gospel as a way to move someone from point A to point B. Scripture views the gospel in a much bigger, more expansive way. Here's how Paul presents the gospel in Acts 13. In Acts 13, Paul has been invited into the synagogue and he, is, he has been asked to, to give a presentation, to speak up and to tell people what's going on. And here's what Paul says in Acts 13, starting at verse 16. So Paul stood up and with a gesture began to speak. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance for about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In this testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's posterity, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had already proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all of Israel. And as John was finishing his work, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but one is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the throng of his sandals on his feet. My brothers, you descendants of Abraham's family, And others who fear God to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, Paul, when he starts to present the gospel, goes all the way back to the beginning of scripture practically. He's talking about Abraham and Moses and David and Saul. And he just summarizes the whole Old Testament here. And I I don't understand why he does that necessarily. See, in, in a Rube Goldberg gospel, we don't even talk about the Old Testament at all. It's like, if anything, we view the Old Testament as the prologue to the real good stuff. The real meaty, juicy story of salvation, of the cross, and the resurrection. But that isn't how Paul seems to view the Old Testament. It seems to me like Paul views this Old Testament story as being vital to God's redemption through Jesus. Have you ever tried to watch a TV show with someone who didn't know what was going on? I do this to Sarah Beth sometimes, and I think it drives her crazy. She doesn't complain too much about it. You know, I, uh, We've been watching The Flash for a long time, and, but I kind of dropped off with it. So I, I only check in every once in a while. So I'll like watch the season premiere, and then I probably will check in once, and then I'll check in at the season finale, and we'll watch it together. And um, this this past week or this past uh, season finale, I think I drove Sarah Beth crazy because I kept asking, "What's going on?" I'm like, "So why does Iris have super speed?" And Sarah Beth's like, "Well, she just has it temporarily." Shh. I thought Barry's mom was dead. Why is Barry's mom here? It's just a personification of the Speed Force. Be quiet. Is Cisco back for good now? No, he's he's gone. He's just back in a cameo. The thing is, you can't just show up and watch the season finale. There's a whole, there's a reason there's a whole 21 episodes before that finale because you're supposed to watch them too. And if you want to know what's going on, you should watch the whole show. If not, you should just be quiet and accept that you're not gonna know what's going on and not bother your wife about it. Correct, Sarah Beth? I think that's how Paul might feel about some of the ways that we treat the gospel today if he were around. You see, this Rube Goldberg gospel shows up and it it plays the short game. Think about the gospel presentations that, that are like that. It begins and it ends with me. The gospel presentations that we Here, when we evangelize, they start with my sin and my eternal destination, and they end, hopefully, with my salvation. But Paul doesn't see the gospel that way. The gospel doesn't start with Paul. The gospel doesn't start with the people Paul is talking to. When Paul presents the gospel, it starts with God. And what God is doing, how God chose God's chosen people, and how God is working out salvation for the world and redemption for the world through those people, and how God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, and how God raised Jesus from the dead, and how God is working to redeem you and me. So often, when we present the gospel, We talk about the short game. How is this going to help me get to heaven? But God is playing the long game. God, through Paul's telling of the gospel... God is working through history to choose a people, to rescue that people, to make them a nation, to give them a king, and then to give the whole world a savior by by propping up Jesus into that kingly lineage And, and to usher in a kingdom of God into the world where the whole world will be redeemed. The gospel of the long game, begins and ends with God and we are just part of what God is doing to redeem the world. So often we think of the gospel as like a formula for us to master, a formula for us to present, a formula for us to get saved, to move people to heaven. But the gospel is not a formula. The gospel is not a Rube Goldberg machine. The gospel is the story of God's redemption of the world that we are invited to take a part in. It's a rescue plan that we are joining. We get rescued and then we go and help God do some more rescuing. So what is God's long game? What is the long game of the gospel? What is God doing here that we miss out When we only play the short game? Does it matter to us? Does it matter how we think about the gospel? How does this affect our day to day lives? Well, first of all, I think the story of Scripture points to a king and a kingdom. Right? When, When we only see, when we begin to see the Old Testament as part of our story, as Christians, then we read the whole Bible differently. The Old Testament is not just a prologue. It's not just an extended prologue. It, it is part of the important part of the story. And I tell you what, when, when you think of the Scripture this way, when we think of the Gospel this way, things like Hebrews 11 hit different. I don't know if you remember Hebrews 11, but it's, it's what they call the Hall of Fame of Faith. You know, by faith, Abraham went to a new country. By faith, Jacob did this. And when we view the Old Testament as a prologue, then we say, well, these guys are just folks that that had, like, this extraordinary amount of faith in the Old Testament. And we look up to those folks, and, and that's good. But when we view the Old Testament as our story, we look at those folks and we say, that's what I'm called to do. I could be like Abraham, I could be like Jacob, I could be like Moses. These aren't just great people of faith throughout history who led up to Jesus. These are people that participated in God's rescue plan for the world, just like we're called to do. Those aren't exemplars of people we can't hope to live up to. Those are the kinds of people with the faith that we're called to have. Because we're called to the same story that they're called to. Hebrews 11 hits different when we realize that the gospel is about God's rescue plan for the whole world. Scripture points to a king and a kingdom. It's about how God established Jesus as the king of the world and how this kingdom is being spread throughout the world for the redemption of That's our second point. The story culminates in the redemption of all creation. It's not just about me going to heaven. It's about how God is taking creation back. It's about how he's reversing the curse of sin. It's this project that, yeah, it started in the Old Testament and it culminated in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and it's continuing today through the church. God is redeeming all of creation. He is making all things new. And when we see the gospel as just a way to snatch our souls out of hell and get us to heaven when we die, it affects how we behave, right? If if I see the gospel as primarily about snatching me away from the world, then Well, if the world's going to hell in a handbasket anyway, why do I care about the world? So we circle the wagons. We we create these Christian bubbles. And we're just waiting for Jesus to come back and take us away. But if I believe that God has come to redeem the world, that God's ultimate destination is to redeem this creation, well, then I've got a responsibility to care about it. Because God cares about redeeming creation, so I have to care about it too. And that means that I'm not circling the wagons. It means that I'm getting out there and, and helping God to redeem the world in the way he's called me to do it. It means that evangelism evangelism becomes more than just about convincing people to go to, to say a prayer so they can go to heaven. It's about binding up the woundedness in the world for the kingdom of God. When we believe that God is redeeming the world, we've got a responsibility to care. And then the third thing that we believe is that the long game gives the church a mission and a calling. God didn't, Jesus didn't say, Go out into the world and make converts of all nations. He said, go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And that's a different thing. It's, we don't just get people to say a prayer so that they can go to heaven and move on. It's about teaching people in the way of Jesus. It's about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mending brokenness in the world, mending brokenness after people say the prayer, helping people to live sanctified lives through the Holy Spirit, helping people who are broken that are never going to say the prayer, helping the God redeem the world is not just about getting people to yes. The gospel is not a sales pitch. The gospel is a redemption story. And when we live into that truth, we begin to see Jesus as our king and our savior, not just our savior. It means that we're called to obedience. It means that we're called to join Jesus in the work of redemption. It means that it's not just Jesus and me against the world. It's Jesus and me with the church for the sake of the world. And our king has called us into service as a part of his kingdom because he is redeeming the world. And so the gospel means that we can either be a part of what God is doing to bring about this new creation, this new kingdom, this new reality, or we can be a part of the sin problem of the world and become a part of what God is overcoming. We can either share in God's victory or we can share in the forces of sin's defeat. That is the gospel. It's not about you. It's about what God is doing in the world. It's about how God is redeeming creation. And then you can decide to become a part of it or not. So let's commit today to playing the long game with God. Let's commit to joining in God's kingdom work. It doesn't mean that the cross isn't important. It doesn't mean that evangelism isn't important. It doesn't mean that we don't need to introduce people to Jesus. Of course we do. But when we introduce people to Jesus, we invite them into the rescue plan of God and we invite them into this larger work of God. We cannot just play the short game with the gospel. We've got to join God in the long game too. Let's pray. Jesus, you have shown us yourself. You've revealed your son through your scripture and through your word. So God, I pray that you will help us to see the long game in the gospel. Help us to see that your word is about more than just moving people to a yes, but it's about inviting people to serve you as a king. The gospel is not about me. It's about you. And so God, give me the grace to see that give me the grace to communicate that and give us all the grace to invite people into this wonderful work that you're doing in the world help us not to miss out but to want to be a part of it show us your gospel truth this morning in your name I pray Amen